everybody. Welcome to church this morning. Uh, Tara mentioned this earlier, but we're actually coming to you live from Ladner, BC in a giant tent. And so these are strange days, but it's actually, it's actually, it feels different in my own heart. Probably doesn't feel that different to you, maybe a little bit. But uh, for me, it's really different. I get to actually speak to, to you guys and I don't, I can't say stop. Let me try that again. I don't know how I got tasked with this job of our first live stream try. Every time my dad preaches, he doesn't skip a beat. He does it one time. I think every time I've preached since we've been recording them, I'm like, ah, I may as well try that four more times. So uh, maybe I shouldn't have told you that. Now you'd know that I had three tries at every time. But anyways, uh, we're here today. I'm looking at you, and then just down right to the left, I can see Mitch Dewar's face, and I'm just so happy about that. <laughs> what more could you ask for? So this is fun. I'm not in a Sunday school classroom anymore. So we are in the middle of our um, series that's in uh, First Peter, and we're looking at all these different dimensions of love. And today we get to look at the dimension of love that's described as honor. And specifically, we're going to be looking at what does it look like to honor authority? And even more than that, what does it look like to honor unjust authority? People that perhaps don't deserve to be honored in the way that we typically think about the word honor. So this is a tricky passage. And, uh, but I think that Jesus has something to say about what it, what it means to honor and respect everybody around us and then what that does and how that actually gives way to the kingdom. So what I'm going to do is I want to read the chunk. It's, it's just 12 verses, so I figured we could read the whole thing today and then we'll pull it apart in, um, throughout, the, throughout the message. But uh, you, can be ter- you can have your Bibles open if you have them. It's, it's really handy, as, especially as we preach through books of the Bible. We often work through large chumps, chunks of Scripture, and it's helpful to have your Bibles, especially in series like this, where we're not so much bouncing around from verse to verse all over the Bible, but we're really working through one passage. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 13. So I'll read this out. We'll read this out together. It should be on the screen. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers Fear God, honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good, and you endure it. This is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Lord, thank you uh, for this passage of scripture. And I pray that this morning you would reveal something about who you are through it. 
maybe something that we didn't understand about you before, but Lord, we know that you're good and that you have, uh, love is the core of who you are. So Father, I would pray that you would teach us about the, just the unfathomable depths of your love as we take one more attempt to learn about it and to understand it through this concept of honor. We ask you to be here with us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So you guys probably have all kinds of questions after reading through that. I know I did as I read through it. But somehow, just as a summative statement before we dive in, being a people of love somehow means being a people of honor. And the most, there's a lot of awkward parts in this passage, but one of them is the idea that it just kind of leaps off the page when Peter's saying, honor the emperor. Honor this guy that isn't necessarily for (laughs) the things of Jesus, but honor him. So there's some really interesting, uh, and so uh, Peter's writing to um, uh, this early church in Asia Minor, and uh, some of the earliest converts to Christianity were people of very low stature, being slaves in that society. Slavery was a part of those societies. And so Peter's writing directly to them because many of them had started following the way of Jesus. And so he's writing directly to these people who are very oppressed in this, you know, Roman system. So it's a very tricky thing to say, okay, everybody honor authority, both good and bad. Well, obviously, that's gonna lead to some issues. Uh, living, uh, respecting authority, even when it's even when it's bad. I mean, we can we can very easily uh, have our imaginations wander into how that could be not a great thing, and it raises lots of questions as to why that's valuable in being people of love. So, uh, it does stand to reason, though, that there is something about honor and living a life of honor that assumes a certain level of suffering and sacrifice. You think about the most classical example of, you know, like World War II people going off to fight for their country. That would have been an honorable thing to do. And that obviously has a large degree of sacrifice, but it's honorable. There's suffering involved, but it's honorable. There, there's lots of things at play. There is uh, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys, you know, in war, it's, sometimes it's hard to tell, but there's something honorable about sacrifice for love's sake to the best that you know. And so honor is an, is an important aspect of love, and then therefore suffering is somehow an important aspect of love. So what we have to do today is we have to uncover what the role of honoring authority, just or unjust, and then the, conse- the, like the, the, the s- unjust suffering that happens as a result, how does that play in to being God's people? How does that play in? So before we jump into the unjust suffering part, there, is, there are some benefits to actually honoring the authority that's put in place in our lives. The leaders that we have, the governments that we have, there are some benefits. And in the early parts of this, of this verse, it does outline some. So God's asking us here to submit to human authority. And there are some positive and practical reasons. The first one in verse 15, it says, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. A lot of times Christians in these early days were accused of not respecting the authority of the day. And it's like, oh, you guys don't follow Caesar who claims to be a God. You follow this Jesus guy who claims to be God. That was a, that was a, uh, people made that observation of Christians being like, where's your ultimate allegiance to? So Peter here is saying, live as model citizens. And it's a great witness. Like if we're, if we're following and honoring the local authority and not living like, oh, I don't follow Caesar, I follow this other person. It's like, no, you actually do live here. And there are actually a lot of perks to you living in this society. And there are, the, this society does provide benefit to you. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like who are you actually following? And people would have made that remark of Christians. 
going, where is your allegiance? And fair enough. And so Peter's saying, live as model citizens. In fact, outlive (laughs) citizens. Be the most model citizens. Because in verse 16 it says, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil or selfishness or maliciousness. Live as God's slaves. So in fact, the call to follow Jesus inside the existing authority structure of the Roman Empire, the call to follow Jesus is actually more strict and it should make you an even more model citizen and make you, there's an even higher standard to appeal to. You're not even allowed to be selfish (laughs) inside Jesus' way of life. That's gonna have some pretty beneficial implications into your life as a citizen and it's gonna lead to an honorable discourse as you live out in a society that isn't ideal but it's actually possible. So we've submitted to a much more intense authority that's holding us to an even more intense standard. And one, one other thing in verse 17 here in the early parts, it says, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. This Again, this honor the emperor. I do think that God establishes earthly authority for a really good reason. In Romans 13.1, you can put that verse up there too. Romans 13, one says, every person is to be in subjection, what an uncomfortable word, in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Oh man, my like, you know, democratic upbringing wrestles with sentences like that. But I think about the most, you know what I think the most interesting thing about this whole vaccination situation is? Is I find it fascinating because, um, our government is like looking into a camera, kind of like I am now, and asking us to do something. Like the people that we voted into power and the people that have the expertise are doing this very strange and kind of interesting thing that I haven't really seen done by our government, at least not very often. Um, Maybe I'm just new to paying attention to it. But they're looking into a camera and going, please do a thing. And, you know, in kind of this weird phase of pandemic life, everything's kind of strange and it's hard to acknowledge what's weird and what's different, but I kind of stopped and thought about it. I'm like, man, I haven't seen our government do that before. And they know that there's risks associated and they know that they don't know everything and they're doing the best they can and they're going, please do a thing. I think it's fascinating. And so one of the, you know, one of the reasons, I don't want to be political, it's not the point of the sermon, but I, I was thinking about the reasons why I got the jab or whatever people call it. And par- like a big part of it is like, I was just asked to by my leaders. <laughs> like, I don't know if that played into your decision making, but I just thought it was so brave or something, you know, just, it's tough to lead things, and then you do your best, and you're like, let's do a thing together, I think this is going to be helpful, and when I look at what they're doing, I'm like, that seems loving, I know you don't need to know everything, but I just thought it was fascinating that they asked us to obey them and trust them, just, wow, that's cool, you know, it might not go well, so of course, the first thing (laughs) that jumps up in your heart when I say stuff like that is like, wait a second, but are they worthy of honor? They might make mistakes, they don't know everything. They aren't God. And these are all very logical, valid things to, to say in the face of me saying something like, let's obey and trust our leaders. Immediately our hearts go, ah, but are they worthy of it? Ah, but are they going to be just? Ah, but they're going to make mistakes and they're human and they're broken. I need to be suspicious and I need to keep it at arm's length. And that's valid because it's true that following human authority and human leaders leads to suffering almost inescapably because yes, they are broken and yes, they do make mistakes and yes, it's just not gonna go well. And so, I mean, it's a little bit, you know, we're, you know, in our vaccine pandemic situation is a whole lot different to the Roman oppression 
<laughs> that, that this audience is thinking about. And even still there, Peter is saying, honor the emperor. And he's not a great guy, but honor him. It gets even more awkward. And it starts, talk, it starts talking to the slaves that he's writing to who are in a very desperate situation, who are very oppressed, not even, not even by the Roman authorities, but by the systems they've established. In verse 18, it says, slaves live in reverent fear of God. Uh, so slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are considerate, but also those who are, uh, also those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up underneath the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. So, suffering unjustly at the hands of those with earthly power is somehow commendable. He uses the word commendable. This is hard to understand. Is God condoning unjust suffering? Is he saying, this, this is, is he a sadist? Like, you just go suffer unjustly, and that's somehow in and of itself good. And it's hard to understand because we're also called to protest. As Christians, we're called to protest and push against injustice in the world. So what does that, what does that mean? We're, we're not supposed to stand for it. We're supposed to uh, be on the, the side of the victim and, and ease suffering in this world. So not to be super doomsday, because that's all true, right? Like we, we, we are actively looking out for the poor and like that, that's the call of the church. That's not changing. But I do kind of have some, <laughs> some doomsday news is that suffering is inevitable because this world is cruel and it's broken and it's destined for destruction. It's slated for demolition and has been so since Genesis 3. The sin that's in your heart and mine contributes to this unjust, cruel, broken world that the enemy, that the evil one is actually in charge of and it's going to run its course. And while the church is called to, to minister to, to the victims throughout this painful human experience. Uh, there is something about this world that's going to pass away and it's on that trajectory. And there isn't anything that we can do about it in that sense. Like God, has, God will have victory over the sin in this world. So what do we do with this? Because God's saying, I commend you for enduring that unjust suffering. I commend you for enduring it. Th I commend you for enduring that unjust suffering that can't be beat just by opposing it. That can't be beat just by pushing against it directly. Although we will, and we can, we'll continue to love and do so. We'll continue to love. But ultimately, it isn't defeated that way. It's defeated by something else. So endure it. <laughs> So here's the why, and this is what we'll unpack for the rest of the time. Injustice is defeated when we willingly endure it. Injustice is defeated when we willingly endure it. Doesn't, okay, so now we need Jesus' help. And this is where Jesus enters the picture in this because you know, we're getting to this point in the passage and it's saying, endure suffering and I'm gonna commend you for it. And we're gonna defeat injustice that way. And we're thinking, okay, wow, tough task. I've got some reasons why that might not be exactly the plan I'd like to follow. And then, thankfully, <laughs> in this passage, Jesus comes on the scene, and we're called to emulate his way. Verse 21. To this you were called. Everything we just talked about, to all this, to enduring unjust suffering, to this you were called. 
Strange word. You were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So we were called to this suffering with Jesus as our example. So that what I was thinking about is that I don't believe that Jesus ended injustice. Stay with me. He defeated it. Okay, so that might seem like the same thing <laughs> to you, but I, I do need to explain. Uh, there's still a lot of injustice in the world. And, and Peter's writing to a bunch of people that are still experiencing a lot of injustice, people that are following Jesus, and they're going, okay, we're gonna follow Jesus. Okay, cool. This is great. I appreciate lots about what he's saying. Also, a lot of injustice still being extended my way. I thought you kind of came to like get rid of that stuff. And the, world seemed to, the world seems to be getting worse. And gravity seems to be pulling us towards destruction and evil people just keep bubbling up and I am suffering unjustly. What are you gonna do about this? I thought you were gonna end it. And Jesus comes along and says, actually, I did something even more extreme. I defeated it. I defeated it. And how we defeat it is by enduring it. So, Jesus defeated injustice by willingly enduring it. What I wanna do is I want to draw a diagram to somehow try to explain this about how we're, we're called as Christians to follow in Jesus' example to not just to not end suffering, but to do something even more powerful than that, but ultimately defeat it, okay? So I need to draw a diagram partly because I think it'll be helpful and partly because I have these new huge whiteboard pens that are 10 millimeters thick, so hopefully that's, that's helpful, and I'm just so excited to use them. So... Stay with me, guys. What we're gonna do is we're gonna kinda draw two sort of worlds. We're gonna draw a line down the middle. And then over here, we've got, uh, we've got unjust suffering. And then over here, on this side of life, we've got like joy or something. And right in the middle, you know, as we live, uh, sometimes, you know, I guess if we're just like asleep, we're like neither, neither of those things. <laughs> and our life is either, you know, this is where I think we think about it. We either have unjust suffering or there's joy and then sleeping is somewhere in the middle where we're experiencing neither, but we just kind of live and bounce between these two different realities of, of there's the suffering that we are trying to push against all the time and if we can't, and the, but we really want to live a joyful life and we're hoping that today is going to be on this side you know, but, but sometimes today is on this side. And here's kind of my, you know, doomsday <laughs> thing, is that doesn't it feel like the unjust suffering in the world, in your life and in the lives of those around you, doesn't it feel like it's just relentlessly pushing that way? Like these days, it's just thing after thing in the news. I was reading last night in the National Post just about what's going on in Afghanistan. It's just the injustice. It's overwhelming. Just open your the newspaper. And it seems as though gravity just pulling, 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 pulling towards this unjust suffering. And we're going, man, I don't want to live this joyful life. I wanted to wake up and have today be about joy. But instead, there's just another thing. There's another person in my life that I trusted who didn't live up to my expectations. So here's what I think we do. I'm going to use green for our effort. Again, because I think it'd be helpful and also because I have green. Um, here's what I think we try to do, is we try to build this little wall right here in our life. Oh, I hope you can see that. This little wall, and we push directly against it. We push, push back. 
This green is kind of our own earthly effort. We push back to try to end the injustice in our lives and in the lives of people around us. We try to end it with our own effort, not necessarily in the way of Jesus, but just by working hard. And there's actually a lot of options that we have in the face of injustice that aren't necessarily the way of Jesus. Like, well, the overt ones would be retaliation, revenge, rebellion, threats, uh, rising up in power ourselves and pushing back, summoning people to our side, just directly opposing injustice in our life. You know, if it's an interpersonal situation and there's injustice, we gossip a little bit and build up a little people behind us and all of a sudden we feel justified and ah, the suffering has eased. Nothing's actually changed, but I've won. I've ended the suffering through my own means. Uh, we got to go to Israel to a place called Masada. And Masada is this, man, it's this really cool, it's such a cool thing. It's this mountain that's up against the Dead Sea that Herod the Great built this amazing temp, uh, like a palace for himself. Man, Herod the Great, he did a lot of terrible things, but he was a fantastic architect. And he built this beautiful palace. Now, in 70 AD, 70 years after Jesus, roughly, um, there, the, Jew, the Jewish people rose up in rebellion against the Roman Empire. They had an overt rebellion. They had an overt, was, this is like, we've had it. The Roman thing, it's not working out for us. We're gonna push against it. And they rebelled against the Roman Empire. Uh, rebelling against the Roman Empire in that day was a very ill-advised thing to do. So what the Roman Empire did is they came in and just steamrolled just steamrolled the Jewish nation. They destroyed the temple, everything was on fire. We learned about the horrific stories of women and children just in the sewer systems and being, oh, I won't get into it. It's horrific what happened to the Jewish people in that time. Uh, but there was the last rebellion, the last rebellion in that time was a bunch of Jewish rebels who took over this palace in Masada and they, they had it all to themselves. Now Masada was a technical marvel. They had cisterns underneath this mountain that were filled with water that would have lasted those roughly 100 and something people for years and years and years. So what the Romans did, they were so dedicated to wiping out this rebellion that they, they built camps all around Masada. They, and because it's this like peak of a mountain and because it's very, it's almost impenetrable, they, they they took sand and built a sand mound up against this mountain so they could push uh, one of those, uh, I don't know what they're called, in, in Lord of the Rings, you know the things that come up against Minas Tirith and then the drawbridge drops down? Whatever those are. They, uh, they come up, some people just really appreciated that reference. Uh, you push it up against, they, they pushed it up all up the sand thing so that they could enter this thing. And all the, while the Jewish rebels are inside are dumping water, on the, on the Romans to try to discourage them because they know they're hooped, they're circled. So anyways, it's this, in Jewish culture even now, when you go there, that uh, eventually they did win and uh, all the Jews actually committed suicide on the, uh, in, that, in that palace before anybody got there. And it's this harrowing tale of the last stand, you know? And even in Jewish culture today, it's hailed as this monument of people that, re that, that fought against the oppression. And to the last man, you know? And so we're, we're hearing this story, and even my heart is a little bit stirred to that. There's something in me that goes, that's pretty awesome. Like, that's, I wanna 
that's honorable, you know? That's what honor is. And then our guide, Arye, who's like the wisest man I've ever met, says, uh, he tells us this story and he says, I feel so sad when I come up here. And we say, why? So Arye is a, a Jewish believer in Yeshua, someone who believes in the Messiah, believes in Jesus. And he says, when I come up here, I see people that missed Jesus. When I come up here, I see a nation that missed him about 70 years ago, missed blessed are the peacemakers, missed blessed are the meek, missed blessed are the poor in spirit. They missed it. And we got destroyed and everybody died. And you're thinking, oh my goodness, you have a very different, you have a Jesus way of honor that I don't understand (laughs) very well because my life just pushes back on stuff. But he says, no, they miss Jesus. So those are the, that's an overt example. But we have so many covert ones that play out in our life really practically. We control, we're suspicious. We, 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 ha- we dedicate our whole lives to self-preservation so that we don't experience that. We don't trust that much. We don't, we don't open our lives that much. We get insulted really easily. Getting insulted is a great way to end unjust suffering because at least if I'm insulted, they did something wrong. At least if I'm insulted, there's some sense of justice in my heart. Being insulted is really handy and it feels like you're pushing back and it feels like you're trying to end it. So we think that if we push hard enough, we'll eventually arrive at joy. You know, one day if we push hard enough, we're gonna have this super joyful life But I think what we mostly realize is it's just very elusive and life never actually seems to be that joyful (laughs) by our own strength. (laughs) So what drives this explosive opposition? John 12, 25, you can put that up there. Um, John 12, 25 says this. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Guys, perhaps this pushing is predicated on this idea that we love our lives so much. We love this worldly life so much. In the case of the Jewish nation, they loved their tradition and they loved their temple and they loved their law. But the Bible says victory is something very different than how they responded and how we responded. In Revelation 12, 11, which, you know, forecasts what victory looks like, Revelation says this, they triumphed over him, uh, they triumphed over him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That's how it summed up Christians in the end times that they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So where did this blood of the lamb part come from? Jesus, red pen, suffered all the way to death. He didn't push, he went further. He went further. Verse 22 in 1 Peter, we'll keep reading. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. His in, he, he willingly endures. 
He lets himself suffer at the hands of an earthly authority. He was crucified on a Roman cruci- torture device. It's a Roman thing. No, Jews didn't, they weren't allowed to kill people in that way. He suffered on a Roman cross, all the while praying for their forgiveness of the people that were doing this to him. Zero, zero love of his own life in the earthly sense of the word. Zero love. And so here's what happens, is as he goes willingly into suffering, as he willingly suffers unjustly, nobody, we actually, when we suffer, it's never quite as unjust as Jesus suffered unjustly. You know, like we do suffer unjustly, we experience that. But Jesus had the market cornered on unjust suffering. And you know what happens? Is he endures it and he makes no threats. And he endures it and he ushers no retaliation. And he lets himself endure all the suffering of the world. It's injustice in its fullest form. It's never been more unjust. You know what happens is all the evil in the world, every single last bit of evil in the world gets exhausted on him. It gets exhausted on him. It hits this wall. All the evil in the whole world, yours and mine included, just pours out on Jesus who who didn't open, he just didn't. He just didn't. And it gets exhausted on him and evil and unjust suffering gets defeated in that moment. It gets completely spent, 100% spent. It has no more power. It's trying to find something to grab in Jesus' heart. It's trying to find a hook. It's trying to find some way to make him guilty, some kind of way to make this be some sort of retaliation or martyrdom. Nothing, it has nothing, and it gets spent, and it's defeated. How does he do this? How does he, how did he do that? You ever look at Jesus on the cross and when he's praying for the forgiveness of people, forgive them for they don't know what they do? It's like your heart turns upside down in your chest. How did he do this? Well, let's keep reading in First Peter. It says it in the very next sentence. Instead, instead, if you have a Bible, highlight the word instead. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And he says, you will repay. Romans 12, 19 says, do not take revenge, my dear friends. This is Paul the apostle speaking. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written that it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So this has some implications for us. Hebrews 12, 2 asks us to do this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father for eternity. And maybe, guys, maybe, that suffering and joy are more the same thing It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. And all of a sudden, he takes this little system that we build in our world, this little one that we can control, and he blows it up. And he goes, you know what? Instead of, instead of trying to end it by our own strength, which we never will, by the way, because I have a plan and we're gonna actually, we're gonna end it ultimately one day. But right now, we're gonna defeat it 
together. We're gonna defeat it together and we're gonna let evil exhaust itself on our hearts and we're gonna entrust, we're gonna entrust all the injustice in the world to him who judges justly. So this is crazy because injustice is defeated as we absorb like he did the injustice in the world. And all of a sudden when Peter's saying it's commendable for you to bear up underneath unjust suffering, it's like, oh, I'm participating in the defeat of injustice. And all the evil in the world that so-and-so hurts so-and-so and then that, you know, hurt people hurt people and we have this spider web of injustice and all of a sudden it hits a wall and it goes boom, it hits the gospel. And Christians are sent out into this world to be an example just like him of entrusting justice to him who judges justly and not pushing back on our own strength. Verse 24 and 25, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin, so that we might follow him unto death of sin and all the things that take control and all the ways that we don't trust and all the ways that we self-protect and all the ways that we don't follow the way of Jesus. We die to all those sins. We die to them. We follow him so that we might live for righteousness, which is eternal, by the way. By his wounds, you've been healed for you are like sheep gone astray, but now have you, re- you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Of our souls, guys. He's trying to save us from this. He's trying to save our soul. He's not trying to save you from unjust suffering in this world. He knows it's gonna end. He knows he's gonna win. He knows it's not the real problem. He's trying to save you for eternity. And he's trying to save your soul. And he invites you to follow him in this way that defeats evil forever. So I'm asking you in conclusion. Where are you suffering unjustly at the hands of people? An unexplainable suffering. Suffering that wasn't your fault. You might say nowhere. In which case, I would ask the question, are you trusting? Are you succeeding at this green arrow? You can. You can make your life small enough and you can end all the injustice around you. You won't be close to anyone. You won't be very close. You won't experience much fruitfulness. It'll all be by your own power. You'll find that joy is difficult to come by. But you can end suffering in your life if you try. Or you might be asking the question, you, may, you might say, oh, lots of places. Lots of places. It's unjust. Lots of places I look around and there's people that are experiencing things that I don't understand. Lots of places I see people being taken advantage of again and again and I'm one of them. And I feel like this passage would say, God commends you for absorbing those things. And he commends you for bearing up underneath the weight of injustice. And he commends you for suffering ending with you. For it not getting through you and past you and into more retaliation and evil. But that it would be defeated through your life and the way that you follow Jesus and the way that you follow his example. And I'm really grateful that he helps us defeat it. And I'm really great that he doesn't doom us to just trying to mitigate it, to mitigate something that was slated for destruction anyway. But he says, join me in defeating it and experience the life and joy that comes from taking up your cross every day and following me. And I commend you for it. So I just wanted to pray for you and pray for us because there's lots of situations 
that don't make a lot of sense. And we need to be the church in this time. So Lord, I ask you that by your Holy Spirit, you would empower us to follow you. And I pray that we wouldn't try to just end injustice, but we would defeat it through the way that you intended, that we would defeat it through the power of the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and that we wouldn't shrink from death because we love our lives too much. Lord, we give you our entire life. And if the role of it, if the role of my life is to absorb the injustice of the world like you did, then I follow you willingly and I entrust justice to you, ultimately, because you saved me and you judged me rightly. You judged me rightly by the work of your son. And so I don't say that I'm better than anything else. And I join you in your plan. In Jesus' name, amen.